your home of the Pens and the best Pens coverage. WXDX FM Pittsburgh and iHeart Radio Station. The Steelers are no longer a 3-4 team. And for some of you, that might be jarring to hear. For some of you, that might be good news to hear. I'm all about it. I think the idea of the old 3-4 has been dead for a long time, but I think the Steelers, who have been very out front in saying that the old 3-4 is dead, haven't really believed that the old 3-4 is dead, and they figured it out somewhere in the middle of last season, or maybe at the end. Take, for instance, what Mike Tomlin said today at the owners' meetings. I'll read from Dale Lally at DKPittsburghSports.com. Base defense doesn't exist anymore, Tomlin said at the NFL meetings in Orlando. We play it in the high 20s, maybe 26, 27% of the time. It's about sub-package ball. The linebacker position is important in a 3-4, no doubt, but all of us are not running a base defense much anymore. That's just the reality of it. Then Dale goes on to chronicle that as a, for instance, Mike Hilton played 579 snaps last season, Javon Hargrave, the nose tackle, the middle of the three in the 3-4, only played 454. And that's playing end a lot because Stephon Tuitt had been hurt. Going on according to what Tomlin said, in today's NFL, you've got to be multiple. We intend to be. What that looks like as we sit here today, I don't know. I know we've got some candidates. Morgan Burnett has done some of that in Green Bay. I've seen that on video. We'll see where that road leads us. What Tomlin is saying, and you might not want to hear it this way, but I'll frame it this way, the Steelers are trying to become more like the Patriots. And they should. That's amorphous defense. That's nebulous defense. That's non-specific position assignments. The biggest issue with the Steelers, though, as they continue to morph out of the old base 3-4, is that they don't necessarily have the players to do that. That's why the loss of Ryan Shazier was so incredibly impactful. A guy who could blitz the quarterback if you needed him to do that. A guy who could cover in the secondary if you needed him to do that. A guy who could go the width of the field if you needed him to do that. He was one of the few guys that was, in fact, positionless. It's part of the reason why they drafted T.J. Watt, why they were willing to at the end of the first round, even when some people said that was a slight reach, because to play the 3-4 in the way it's currently constructed as they have it right now, they needed a linebacker who could drop and take away some of the field without relying on him solely as a pass rusher. And maybe he's not as skilled as some or as just raw dynamic as a pass rusher as as others as they brought into this 3-4 over the years at that position, but... They need someone who can do more than that because times they are a-changing. The big issue they've got right now is, you know, their three, four ends, like Cam Hayward and Stephon Tuitt, they get up the field better than other three, four ends that they've had in the past, but are they the run stoppers that they need at that position? And the Steelers in the front seven right now, we all talk about the secondary. We all have concerns about how do they cover wide receivers My bigger concern is how do they get after the quarterback and how do they take away the middle of the field? They've got numbers in the secondary. They've got youth in the secondary that's getting better. I want to know what their front seven is all about. 412-333-9939. I want to hear from Steeler fans on this. This admission, this is even more of an obvious declaration from Mike Tomlin than we've heard in the past 
that the Steelers are changing on defense. And like he just said, I don't know what that looks like right now. For Steeler fans who were so concerned about what the defense was at the end of last year, and we're talking about personnel. Well, they need better cornerbacks. Well, they need better safeties. They need somebody better than Bud Dupree. They need a scheme. They don't have a scheme right now. And we discussed this yesterday. We're kind of ahead of the curve in this conversation with Matt Williamson yesterday when Matt talked about positionless football. Here, take a listen to what Matt talked about as I brought up the topic of the front seven with him and where the Steelers are going. It's funny because I was on with Stan. We had this exact conversation a couple days ago, and it's a really good one because there's a couple ways of looking at it. I mean, it's kind of a chicken or egg situation. Right. If they had Khalil Mack, he'd be rushing the passer. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, obviously. So that doesn't exactly bode, you know, that doesn't sing praises for Watt and Dupree. And I think Watt was at the, the league leaders of edge players dropping into, pass, in, into coverage, and Dupree's not far off. But it's also a feather in the cap of Tewitt and Hayward and Hargrave to a lesser extent. And in today's NFL, with so many get-it-out-quick RPOs, all those type of things, you would rather rush the passer between the tackles better than on the edge. But again, if you had Vaughn Miller or Joey Bosa, he wouldn't be dropping the cover. So I want to put this question to Steelers fans. As we've moved along here in the offseason and now we move forward to the draft, are you actually more concerned about the front seven than the secondary? Because I think you should be. That's a song that I've been singing for a while, and I think some of the commentary you're getting from Mike Tomlin today sort of speaks to that. There are players we like up front. I think generally speaking, we like Javon Hargrave and Stephon Tuitt and Cam Hayward. I think we like those guys as people and as players. I think we're inclined to think that T.J. Watt's going to be a good football player. But I don't think anybody knows what these guys are going to do, or what they're going to be as players moving forward. And with no clue as who's to replace Shazier and the limitations that Vince Williams has, I've actually got more concerns about what the Steelers are going to be up front then I know what they have in the secondary. And I want to hear what you think. 412-333-9939. A couple other things that came up NFL-wise today from the owners' meetings. We've talked about the catch rule. And if you're just tuning in, the catch rule did change. The NFL has admitted that now the Jesse James play would be a catch, the Des Bryant play would be a catch. One other thing that's come up here is that the NFL is also going to allow ejections to take place after the fact. And this is sort of like a Rob Gronkowski rule, that they're putting into place this rule where they can evaluate after the play, or you could call it the Mike Evans rule if you want, that fight that took place in the Tampa Bay-New Orleans game, that the eye in the sky can say, player X did something so wrong, did something so dirty, we can eject them now. And... Because Gronk is sort of at the center of this for his dive on Jadavius White from Buffalo, people are probably like, okay, yeah, I like that. It's the Gronkowski rule. Let's make sure that doesn't happen again. But for everybody who thinks there's like this giant conspiracy theory in favor of the Patriots, what happens the next time, three plays after the fact, you get a whistle from up on high that says you got to eject uh, Sean Davis for a late hit on Brady. People are going to go berserk. Like, this sounds good in principle. This sounds good in theory. This sounds like something we want in the wake of what happened last year 
to prevent things like what happened with Gronkowski. Like, go back in time, take a look at how bad something was, and then say, okay, get that guy out of there. But the first time it goes against your team, and the first time it goes in favor of a team that you think is getting the benefit of the doubt all the time, you're going to go ballistic. The first time someone takes a low dive on Tom Brady and gets ejected, like the juju block on Burfick, like for instance, as, as Bob brings up here, that's a good point. Like what if they go back in time and they eject juju, something like that happens again. Let's, like, let's say something like that happens for a second time. You're going to go nuts. Now, if it happens with Burfick against a Steeler, we're going to all applaud. If not, you're going to say there's this big giant conspiracy theory against the Steelers and gambling is going to come into play. The fix is in. It's going to come. Like, there's a Pandora's box that is going to be opened by this. And it's all being done in the name of player safety. And we always sort of pander to player safety and that sort of thing. And that's why it's being done. But there's another layer to this that's going to be brought up a lot. The unintended consequences of rules changes that we hear all the time. This is it with the NFL for this one. Let's go to Rob, who's calling from his car. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Jim. Hey, Rob. Hey, I'm just calling. I agree with you 100% about the secondary. Um, even if you have guys up front to give it their all in the first half, uh, you know, clock control is a big part of the game. Them guys aren't going to be the same up front guys in the second half if you're letting them go down the field at will and control the clock. So, wait, back up. What, you, what are you saying then? That you're more concerned about the Steelers allowing run yardage based on what Tomlin is talking about changing the defense? Is, is that what you're getting at? Uh, that combination with the pass, uh, if your sus- secondary is suspect uh, and you let the, uh, the other team control the clock, you know, uh, like I stated before, if those guys up front give you a great first half, you don't let them get proper rest um, and control the clock yourself with the offense, they're not going to be the same guys in the second half. Well, yeah, I get that, but, I mean, I also don't think, what are you suggesting, that you want the Steelers to go back to all clock control and turn around and give it to the bus for three and a half yards in a cloud of dust, or, or what are you getting at? No, I'm getting at uh, what you uh, said about the secondary. Um, you know, those guys got to come up with big plays, three and outs once in a while. you got to give them guys a rest. Well, uh, oh, sure, yeah. I mean, like, I, I want to see more hands on footballs. I want to see more passes broken up. I want to see more takeaways, no doubt about it, but uh, I think... They're going in the right direction, and they have more players that are more properly enabled to be modern-day secondary players than they probably do in the front seven. You know, They've got guys that can play safety, can play corner, that can cover different varieties of receivers that have been drafted and reared in that context. I, I think that they still have guys that are kind of stuck, and this is what a 3-4 outside linebacker used to look like, a 3-4 inside linebacker, a 3-4 nose tackle, and that's where it's got to morph. 412-333-9939. I want to get more into this, but I also want to get into this rules change about ejecting players after the fact. Oh, there's another one that didn't get passed. we got to get to this. There's another one that didn't get passed that I want to bring up, too. That's coming up next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hello, is this Mark Madden? Mark, this is the fake Norm McDonald. How the hell are you? What's going on now sucks, but that sucked, too, and it was boring. The X at 105.9. 
Four o'clock hour of the Mark Madden Show brought to you in part by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Tim Benz with you. Spent a lot of time today talking about the NFL rules changes that have come to pass. And that's not all we're talking about, obviously. We're talking about the Steelers, some of the comments that Mike Tomlin made about the changes for the front seven, potentially, of the Steelers. Uh, I think that's a huge topic and one that's gone under-discussed. We're talking about Jeff Capel being hired by the Pitt basketball team. I think that's a really good hire, all things considered. Uh, Not better than Danny Hurley, as some people are saying on Twitter, but very good nonetheless. And obviously the Pens tonight, uh, I think they need a a blowout road win. Just smoke the Devils, show you can, sorry, the Red Wings, show you can play well on the road against a bad team. 412-333-9939. Talk about any of those topics you like. But the rules changes have gotten some people going on the phones. they got more calls coming up here. And, And one rule that didn't get passed, actually got pulled, was the uh, Jets' proposal to have pass interference become a 15-yard penalty as opposed to a spot foul. And that's become a talking point in the NFL in large part because, like, for instance, uh, the Jaguars game against the Patriots. Remember that deep ball down the sideline? I think it was at the end of the third quarter. It helped turn the game around in favor of the Patriots, the Cooks penalty that he drew. Um and some people are saying there's so much 50-50 action going on when it comes to hand fighting and tripping over each other's feet. And is the defensive player really as much to blame as the offensive player for some of the contact that's being drawn down the field? In the fourth quarter, that's just too much of a punitive action to have the game change on a play like that. And I get that. Um, I also just don't want the ability for a defensive back to tackle a guy in the open field because he knows he got beat. Now, here's the disconnect, and part of the reason why I thought the Jets' proposal had more merit. If you had just written an addendum that said, intentional pass interference, make intentional pass interference a spot foul. The whole movement this offseason has been to give the officials more latitude in making their own judgments. That's why we loosened the restrictions on the catch rules, to give the refs a little bit more common-sense judgment. Pass interference is a judgment call to begin with. So why not make it 15 yards, but with the option of having a spot foul for intentional pass interference because a receiver had so badly beaten the guy that he just tackled him and didn't even try to make a play on the ball? It's a 50-50 call in a lot of ways to begin with, so I would have been in favor of 15 yards for pass interference plus the addendum, And maybe they thought the language is too complex, but I don't think that's that hard to work out. You're relying on officials, to, and you're asking officials more now to be more in charge of judgment than restricted by the rules. This is a disconnect with that trend. Let's go to Kevin, who's calling from his car. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Tim. Thanks for taking my call. I kind of disagree with you on this um, ejection penalty. I think it's a good thing. It's worked in other sports. I think it's going to rein in some players. Um, you know, coaches are going to have to watch it instead of a 15-yard penalty, you know, and lose a set of downs or, you know, gain 15 yards. You're going to lose a player. And um, How do you think it's worked you know, in college with the targeting rule? Do you like the targeting rule? Because I don't think that's worked out so well. In fact, if they, they call the penalty right there and review it right there, that's fine. They're not going to – if it's a personal foul penalty and then they review it and it was outrageous, then throw the guy out, but don't you know let it go three plays and then call down and say the guy's got to be out of the game. Okay, well, see, that's that's part of what we're talking about, though. I mean, and that's what I've heard is that they might allow that to happen. Like, I'll give you a for instance. Remember when Terrell Suggs hit Legarrette Blunt in the back of the legs and it took people yes. a couple? Would you be in favor of Terrell Suggs three plays later being thrown out for doing that? Was he penalized for a fifteen-yard penalty? No, he wasn't. 
15, and that guy wouldn't do it. If you're penalized for a 15-yard penalty, review it right there. If it's outrageous, throw him out. If he was penalized for it, you know, then you can throw him out. You know, See, but then I don't later. get the point of doing it then. <laughs> like, if you're trying to say what you do dirty is so egregious you could be thrown out for it, if it's not called immediately, then what's the point of doing it upon review? Like, some of this stuff might not be as obvious as Gronkowski coming with a flying elbow. You know, some of the stuff that Burfecht has gotten away from. They're trying to take that out of the game by doing this, but you can't do it until you review it afterwards. You kind of can't have it both ways. That's part of the discussion. Jason's calling from the car in the pens. Hi, Jason. Hey, Tim, how are you? Good. I was calling to, uh, it seems like the defense, obviously, is where we're the weakest at uh, going into the playoffs. And I was wondering your thoughts on what we could do better or, you know, what needs to be done, whether it be from the forward standpoint of, getting back and helping out, or, or, or what you think that really needs to be improved on as far as the defense goes before we head to the playoffs? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for whatever people want to say about Pierre Maguire, I thought he was spot on with what he had to say about the back check in that Philadelphia game. I thought that got an appropriate amount of response, and I think that's speaking to your point, right, about how bad it was the other day from the forwards? Well, correct. Yeah. And it seems to me, it seems to me like last year without Latang, it seemed like the forwards really stepped up and coming back and helping out the defense uh, in his absence with, with the young defenseman that we had called up and everything else. I was just wondering, you know, I know obviously we don't want Sid Gino and Phil blocking shots, but as far as what what do you think we can do better as, as a team to really shore up that defense? Because it seems like that's how New Jersey kicks our butt every time that we've had this, uh, that we've had this matchup so far, is they've just riddled us offensively with, with, no, with nobody back. Yeah, I think that, as Madden has referenced as well during his show, if they're going to pinch as much as they do with the defense, they've got to get more responsibility from the forwards going back. I do think that's something that needs to get better, and I do think that has to overcome, uh, how can I phrase this delicately, with maybe some of their lack of overall just defensive talent from the red line back. Like They just have a lot of stout defensemen. And I do think the forwards are going to have to pick up their game in that context. Maybe that just happens naturally because it's the playoffs, but they got to do better. Uh, to clarify, so the fla- the phrasing is disqualified for a flagrant non-football act when a foul for that act is called on the field. So you can't buzz down plays later. So if that's the case, then that's better. But then basically all this is is a slightly different version of the targeting rule. It's not just about headshots, but it's just a slightly different version of it. And that's going to bog the game down. And it's still going to come into question of, are they throwing out the right guy at the right time in a big game, or is it just a random game against the Browns on Sunday at 1 o'clock? Keep that in mind. It's a Pandora's box they're opening. It's a slippery slope. We'll talk about it with uh, Stan Saverin next here on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Ben, 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 ben. Are you speaking from the inside of an electric razor? Yeah. Luke, I am your father. The X at 105.9. Breaking news. As we went to break before, we talked about how the NFL hadn't necessarily passed a targeting rule per se, but turns out they have. In fact, as Albert Breer is reporting, the rule is different than the college rule. It will be broader. If you lower your head and initiate contact, it's 15 yards, and the ejection aspect is being discussed. It'll be talked about in the May meeting So this one to be determined later, but there is a quasi-version of a targeting rule that's coming into place in the National Football League. Joining me to talk about that, the other rules changes, Penguins pick coaching news, and more, it's Stan Saverin from ESPN Pittsburgh and, of course, AT&T Sportsnet. Stan, what do you make of this? 
Well, I'm a little surprised uh, to hear by it. I understand the continuing desire uh, to make the game as safe as possible. The key is as possible, but it's still football. Uh, I think that the targeting rule, even in college, um, is is too iffy for my taste. Uh, it's too arbitrary for my taste. It opens up another avenue for replay, one too many for my taste. Um, I, I think... And I'm on board with all safety measures. I really am. I always have been. When people around here were screaming, put a skirt on them and all that other stuff, and James Harrison had to be a jerk and try to defy it to prove a point. No, I'm all for safety first. But I also think that that's the nature of the game. The best you can do is limit as much as you can as possible. Uh, I think this is a step too far. Now, there already is a rule like that, Tim, as you know. Yeah, what's for, the difference? For running backs. Um, you know, they, they, they added that because the defensive players felt they were being put upon. Um, I don't understand the, the difference here. Um, I think that players, for example, uh, will lower their heads when they're making a block. Um, if, if they're using their shoulder, um, they'll lower their heads there. There's all kinds of incidental contact at the line of scrimmage, just the nature of it. Uh, and I think that, again, not ignoring the safety component, which I truly believe in. All I needed to see was poor John Mackey in a wheelchair drooling at the age of 55. That's all I needed to see and say, okay, enough is enough. But I also think that you've got to understand that there's going to be some of these issues, unfortunately, just the nature of the game. Uh, I, this targeting rule, I found that to be the case in college. Um, I realize that they want to make players aware of the consequence, not necessarily in that particular hit, but to, save, to, to make other hits more safe or as safe as they possibly can. But I also think that now you have to determine intent, and that's not something you want anybody else to decide. Yeah, I don't like that hitting somebody in the chest and the concussive force of a natural hit to the chest results in heads hitting one another and that might fall under the category of what took place here like i think that's what happened with church and gronkowski in the playoffs last year stan yeah you're going to lower yourself and even if it's not initial contact if your head is being lowered and you hit the player that could be construed as such you might get a 15 yarder and now if it's deemed egregious based on the previous rule that we talked about before the break that could be reviewed and then you can get ejected yeah it's a step too far tim i mean i think we've seen if we can you know mix our metaphors here um look at hockey uh you know we talk about helmet to helmet which they don't enforce regularly but they try to take into account if a guy ducks down it was not the intent of the charging player to hit him in the head, but the guy ducked down. And, you know, that's when some of those things occur. Uh, I think you could say the same thing about football. I mean, a guy goes in for a chest-high hit. His first blow is to the chest, but naturally, through the concussive force of it, it raises up and hits him in the head. Uh, now, maybe that's worthy of a penalty, but I don't think it's worthy of ejection because, again, now you have to measure intent. Stan Saverin with us. Stan, let's get one more question on this and then move on. The catch rule that passed, did they get that right? And should they have investigated further the Jets' proposal about 15-yard pass interference? 
Well, the, the second thing first, I am fully in favor of the 15-yard pass interference penalty. I understand that there could be a guy who sees he's beaten and tackles a guy, saves a touchdown. I don't see that happening all that often. The other thing, if you wanted to institute that into the rule, a referee could have the discretion on the field of saying that was intentional. Uh, we're going to go spot a foul. I'm not in favor of that necessarily because I'm trying to take as much of the deliberative process away from the on-field officials as I can. It's a tough enough job already. They've got enough to worry about. But I do like the 15 yards. I'll, I'll suffer um, through the intentional ones that might have cost a touchdown. And who knows, Tim, it could have been Lima Sweetie would have dropped the ball anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, you never know what's going to happen there. But I think too many teams have in their playbook, okay, you run down there by the stoplight, I'll heave it as far as I can, and it'll be a 40-yard gain. It's on page three of our playbook. Uh, I think that's got to go. Um, as far as the catch rule, I had hoped when I read it, I would say, okay, I understand it. End of story. I'm not sure I got that with this new rule. I think the one thing that they could have done that they need to make clear, which would really eliminate a lot of the confusion is, and this goes to the Jesse James case and others, make the rule for for wide receivers the exact same yeah. as it is for running backs. If you look most of these questions come on what? Scoring plays. Right. If you make that exactly the same, you eliminate a lot of this other stuff. A running back, we don't want to have the determination, well, he was, he, was he still a receiver or is he now a running back? Make it the same. And a lot of these ancillary problems would go away. That should have been the starting point. Yet the, putting in the language of the line to gain helps, taking away the going to the ground element helps i would have just preferred be blatant about it and talk about the goal line specifically so i'm with you there stan and i didn't like that caveat in there or the ability to perform said act why even add that that creates confusion absolutely like like an NFL executive said to me after the New England game, he said, we're making it too hard. This is still entertainment to people. Yeah, their people are dedicated. They're Steeler fans. They want their team to win. But reduced to its lowest common denominator, it's still entertainment. If I'm sitting there watching a movie or I'm watching a TV show and the plot becomes so convoluted, I... I already took final exams. I managed to get through them barely. I don't want to take any more. I want to watch a game, and, and I want to be entertained. I want to be excited by it, but I don't want to have to take a final exam on the rules. And when you ask people to do that, no matter how dedicated a fan they are, they're going to lose interest. Stan Saverin is our guest here, Tim Benzin for Mark Madden. Speaking of the Jesse James play, Stan, Jeff Capel, new pick coach, tweeted that he hated the Jesse James call in the first place. Does this automatically make him the most popular coach in pit history since Johnny Majors won the national championship? Either that or he's got the best PR person in the history of the world. No, no, he tweeted it in real time. He's actually a diehard Steelers fan. Are you oh, aware of that? Okay. Well, there you go. Well, that's why they hired him. There you go. Um, there you go. We don't care if you can coach, but if you like the Steelers, you're in good shape. Um, and I, I think it's uh, – I don't even want to put the caveat in there, um, the best they could do under the circumstances. I think that would be unfair. Uh, I think that would be unfair to Heather Like and her process um, or the 
search committee, whoever it was who came up with the guy, um, I think this is a really good hire. Uh, the guy's got a resume. The guy is not a young kid. The guy's got nine years of coaching experience, and he's coached under as high a profile program and played for and coached under as high a profile coach as you can possibly do. Um, that having been said, recruiting kids to Duke is one thing. Recruiting p- kids to Pitt is quite another. But the one thing that Capel has, at least initially, he can now get in the front door of some recruits that they never would have been able to get in on. And he knows the ACC, too, Stan. That's exactly where I'm going. He knows the ACC. He knows what kind of player, what type of player it takes. He also knows what type of player the other teams have. He knows what it takes to win in that conference, the style of basketball, which Pitt has yet to figure out. I mean, you just look at him. Look, the Big East was a great conference, Tim, but the fact of the matter is that if you look at the basketball players in the ACC, they're different. They're longer. They're more athletic. I mean, the speed is, is just so different than it used to be in the Big East, which is not to say one was better than the other, but it certainly was different. So now he knows what kind of players he needs. Now, again, getting them to come to Duke is one thing. And let's be honest about it. As long as Krzyzewski was there, the assistant coach wasn't going to make that much of a difference. And Duke is one of the few schools in the country. They pick the player. The player doesn't pick them. They identify, you know, 10, 12 people that they would consider having, boom, and then they go out and recruit them. It's not the same as trying to get them to come to any other program except Carolina in the ACC. But his name is Jeff Capel. He has been associated with Duke and ACC basketball for a long time. At least he gets in the front door. Now he, who knows what happens after that? He was also associated with Oklahoma, and some things went wrong there right. r- legally towards the end of his stay. And I don't care that much about it, Stan. I'm not offended by it. I also wasn't offended by the Sean Miller thing either, if they were really talking to him. But just now, for Pitt fans who are saying, well, Pitt's above that. They'd, they'd never do anything like that and bring Miller here after he's looked at by the FBI. you, you got to spare me the sanctimony now, because just, even though maybe Capel wasn't directly linked to it, he was the coach in charge, and some of the blowback came on him. I mean, it did. I think the circumstances were different. I mean, the FBI wasn't involved. These were strictly NCAA uh, issues. And it may have been Kelvin Sampson um, who laid the groundwork for that. We all found out about him. Uh, you know, that may, may or may not be the case. Um, it does make you wonder if, indeed, they were looking uh, to, you know, look past whatever it was that Capel was involved with, um, but weren't with Sean Miller, or maybe they weren't. You know, maybe they were completely fine with what, you know, and let's, let's face it, uh, Sean Miller's still the coach at Arizona. Nothing's happened there yet. Um, I would think that if there was any doubt that the program was in jeopardy, that Sean Miller would have been gone by now. Uh, but be that as it may, maybe they determined that Sean Miller was telling the truth, that ESPN had it all wrong. Time, you know, time will tell. But I think just at least on the surface, on the merits of the hire, um, I think this is a better hire than Dan Hurley. Not, it has nothing to do with their coaching ability. It just has to do with their adaptability. I do think it's important that Pitt needs now to look at different areas, different types of basketball players, and Capel at least starts out with the knowledge and a rep to get him in the living room of some kid. 
Finally, Stan, Pens tonight. We'll have the call here on the X on AT&T Sportsnet as well. Detroit and Pittsburgh, the Wings are awful. They've won once in their last 13 games. These are not the Red Wings of old by a long shot. Pittsburgh hasn't been good on the road. Uh, I want to see them go there and win 4-1 to one and just cruise through the last like 20 minutes, taking care of business, not allowing a lot of shots. I want to see a good, sound, easy, solid road win. Because uh, they just haven't been good away from PPG Paints Arena so far this year. They've been terrible among the 16 teams in the playoffs. Uh, if the playoffs were to start tonight, the Penguins have the second worst road record of any one of those teams. Um, they haven't been and, and worst in the East, right, Stan? Yes, worst in the East. Um, and and their power play is, excuse me, their penalty kill is second worst among those 16 teams. Uh, <clears throat> they've been awful on the road all year long, really. Um, and even though they may get home ice advantage in the first round, that doesn't mean you get to play all your games on home ice. I mean, they've got to be better uh, on the road. And it, it's not even a matter of home or road. It's a matter of the type of game you have to play to win on the road. We haven't seen that. We didn't see it at home against Philadelphia on Sunday. They blew two one-goal leads. They were up 3-2, and they were up 4-3. Uh, I've seen them do it a million times this year where they get a lead and then give it back. They've blown a number of 2 nothing leads, and oftentimes we've seen that when they've had a one-goal lead, they give it back within a minute or two. Um, this is the kind of shutdown hockey that they were so good at the last two cup runs. I realize that's the playoffs. It's a different story. We understand their particular circumstance of, A, winning two cups back-to-back and fully understanding what it takes to win, <clears throat> and this is still a march to them. And I do think that they have another level to get to, get to which I, I sincerely think that they will. Uh, but I also think it's time to start kicking that into gear. And I don't mean scoring goals. They're fine. Uh, but I do mean that lockdown defensive style of hockey that when you get a lead, especially in the third period, you just choke the other team to death. You step on their throat and you don't let them up. And I agree. That's what we need to start seeing from them. Stan, thanks. Appreciate the time as always. Let's do it again soon. All right, Tim, you got it. Stan Saverin from ESPN Pittsburgh and AT&T Sportsnet, brought to us by Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman. They got your back, not your wallet. When we come back, Bob McLaughlin joins me before the top of the hour. Very interesting stuff from Mike Tomlin on a different front, on Le'Veon Bell. We'll hear what he had to say to the NFL Network about the Steelers running back in the 5 o'clock hour, too. All that to come. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden here on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, hi, Mark. Hi. First, I love your show. I just talked to David Lee Roth. He said, somebody get me a doctor. The X at 105.9. Just before the 5 o'clock hour, Tim Benz with you for Mark Madden, brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Bob McLaughlin joins me right now. Bob, the opening day lineup is out for your Pittsburgh Pirates. Are you a quiver with anticipation? I am not. D.H. Adam Frazier leading off. Josh Harrison batting second, playing second base. Batting third is Gregory Polanco in right field. Cleanup hitter Josh Bell at first. Dickerson, Marte, and Cervelli. Five six seven power hitting third base acquisition Colin Moran batting eighth and then uh, Jordy Mercer shortstop hitting ninth as they play on the road in Detroit so they have a DH in there. Tim, do you have the over under on drop balls by Marte in that first game? Five, <laughs> maybe. Well played. Guy that is not included in the opening day lineup, but I think he should based on nothing more than what I saw yesterday is my new favorite Pittsburgh Pirate Lolo Sanchez. 
Did you see Lolo steal home plate? I did. 18-year-old prospect. The gall of him to steal that plate. Yeah, exactly. You know, with the How- shift on and the guy, major league pitcher there with innings of experience looking down. How dare he do oh, that? Oh, was the, the shift the on? Track. Is that why the third baseman wasn't anywhere yeah, near third base? He, he couldn't throw over to third to keep the guy on. So He was beyond the pitcher's mound. He was gone. Did you notice that? Like He, he started his, what, his initial lead. He started... Oh, yeah. Right on the mark of the pitcher's mound, and then beat the throw, and you could tell like the pitcher kind of knew it was coming, and threw high at his head, and <laughs> like no, he, he threw it over the catcher. Right. Well, no, he threw it high, but I like to think that he was throwing at his head. But you know he's going to slide there, so put it right there where you need it. Lolo went yolo. You only live once. Tim, when will we see that guy at PNC Park? Tim, will we see that guy at PNC Park? The way the Pirates bring up their prospects? No, of course not. Ever. No. Never. As somebody tweeted back to me as soon as I put this video out for the trip, it was the most watched thing on the trip site this morning, by the way. It was Lolo stealing. It. Yeah, Lolo stealing home plate. The most watched thing. Somebody, as soon as I tweeted it out, said he should have stolen Nutting's wallet. <laughs> All right, Bob, you are a Pitt basketball fan. Jeff Capel, is he enough to bring you back? Oh, uh, I was never going away. I mean, God, if I've sat through that this far, Tim. I've been did you Pitt. sit through that this year, though? Did, did you go to a pick game well, this year? I, I did actually sit in the seats uh, at, uh, uh, <laughs> at the Pearson uh. Event Center. But I did sit in front of the TV a couple times um, and hit Last Channel a couple of times also. But no, uh, hey, I'm a fan. I'm a Pitt fan. You know, been through worse. My God, Tim, I was there in the 80s and 90s through the football seasons. You know, when Ohio State was beating Pitt 72 nothing in the pouring rain, I was one of those poor bastards out there getting rained on and just going, oh, come on. Real quick though, that was kind of funny today though, wasn't it? Like oh, the seismic shift. It, it's yeah, it's one oh five or whatever, and it's like oh my god, we're never gonna get another coach. We're gonna have to fold the basketball program. We got Jeff Capel. We got. Is he bringing that Zion kid or not? I know, I know. I heard your opening remarks it's, and I was laughing. It's at just him. so pit, isn't it? It's like we stink. No one likes us. We don't have a prayer. We're gonna be awesome, and no one's ever gonna beat us again. It was like we just zoom beyond rationality to hyper-exposed expectation. You know. Well, let's put it this way: Would I've liked Danny Hurley first before this happened today? Absolutely. Am I uh, pleasantly surprised? At uh, Jeff Capel coming here? Yeah, I am. And do I think that he is um, He's going to have a shot at turning things around? Not right away, but from what everybody is saying, he knows the ACC. He's the recruiting guy, or, well, like you said, Duke is the recruiting tool down there. But he kind of spearheaded that. Um, if he can bring some staff along that knows different areas, uh, good for Pitt. Good hire by the athletic department. Good job by, uh, like, you know, it, uh, she got blasted over the last two weeks, uh, but it turned out okay. I think better than some thought it would for Pitt. Well, yeah, because everybody knew $3.5 million was out there. That'll change a lot of minds. And the charter flights. Don't forget the <laughs> charter flights. That's Bob McLaughlin. In 30 seconds, I'll ask that simple question of Pitt fans. Are you back? I will also ask this simple question of football fans. How do you tackle anybody anymore? 105.9 The X.